This morning we begin a new sermon series. This will be a 10-part series, but it's very important. It's entitled Homeland Security, Protecting Your Home in the War Against the Family. If you think there's no war against the family, my friend, you need to wake up because there is. We need to understand where the source of the conflict is coming. And that's going to be what we devote ourselves to do this morning as we look at Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 through 19. So if you find your way to the book of Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 and nine, uh, through 19, you'll find... The passage of scripture we're going to be studying this morning and the message I have entitled Profiling the Enemy. A debate is underway in this country over the practice of profiling terrorists. Some say that focusing extra attention on young to middle-aged male Muslims of Middle Eastern descent is not only unconstitutional, but it is unprofitable in the war against terror. Others claim that a failure to use profiling doesn't make sense and gives the terrorists a greater opportunity to attack the homeland. How this debate is settled is yet to be seen. One thing is sure, it is hard to defeat an enemy if you do not know who he is. Developing a profile of the enemy is not only necessary in the physical realm, it is also essential in the spiritual realm. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, the Apostle Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. and He was talking about how that we as Christians can be protected against the enemy. And he warns us that our enemy is Satan himself, Lucifer. And his demons. He says it this way. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against the rulers. Against the powers. Against the world forces of this darkness. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So our enemy is unseen in many ways. Our enemy is Satan and his demons. In Ezekiel chapter 28 verses 11 through 19, God has provided a profile of our spiritual arch enemy. In the first 10 verses of this chapter, the prophet Ezekiel pronounced a judgment against a wicked godless king who ruled in an area known as Tyre. However, in verse 11, if you'll notice you can detect a change in focus. Ezekiel turns his attention to the source that had empowered this evil king. The power behind the throne of Tyre was none other than Lucifer himself. This passage is not intended to glorify Lucifer, nor is its purpose to cause one to become obsessed with him. Rather, this text is meant to give us a profile of our enemy so that we can be better prepared to stand against him. One of the primary ways this enemy is attacking us is by focusing on targeting our families, our children, our grandchildren, our spouses, 
are in the crosshairs. And it's time that we wake up and understand what is at stake. As we study this passage, I want to show you four things about Lucifer that will help you to understand who he is and how to overcome him. The word Lucifer actually means light bearer. And he is one who was created by God. And we'll see that creation and we will see his fall through this passage this morning. So let's begin to look together. And I want you to see, first of all, the description of Lucifer. You'll find it in verses 11 through 13. He is described, first of all, by focusing on his attributes. Verse 11 tells us again, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a limitation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Here some of the attributes of Lucifer are listed. The seal of perfection is the first. That is when God created Lucifer, he created him perfectly. He was created without a flaw. God did not create Satan. Satan became Satan. He transformed from Lucifer to Satan because he rebelled against God. And we'll see what took place a little later on this passage. But I want you to underscore the fact that when God created Lucifer, he created a perfect being. He had no moral flaw. He had no physical defect. He was a perfect being created by holy God. But also the Bible says here in verse 12 that he was full of wisdom. Not only was he created perfectly, but he was created with wisdom. The wisdom that God had implanted into his heart and mind. Now when we think about wisdom, it's not just knowledge. Wisdom is how, knowing how to use knowledge correctly. Here, Lucifer had the great benefit of having wisdom that came from God. He was full of wisdom. And the Bible also describes him as perfect in beauty. Here was a creature that if you and I looked upon him, we would be overwhelmed. His beauty was breathtaking. He was stunning to see. This this creation that God has made as described here was really what I would call the apex of his angelic host. Perfect in beauty, perfect in wisdom, and perfect in just general form. Here is Lucifer as described in the pages of God's Word. These are some of his attributes. As we continue to describe him, notice what the Bible says. Here's a description of his access. Verse 13 tells us, You were in Eden, the garden of God. We all know the story from the book of Genesis how Eve was tempted by Satan, that dragon in the garden, that snake we would call him the serpent 
and how that she fell to his temptation. She also gave to Adam and he willingly partook and rebelled against God. And thus sin entered into the human race. On that day, Adam and Eve died spiritually. They died to the things of God and and they had in them, as a result of that sin, a nature that is bent towards sin. And they passed that along to their own children and their children to their children until this day we all are possessors of a sin nature. There is something within every single one of us that has a bent towards sinning. And given enough opportunity, we will sin. We have sinned. And we will sin again. It is a part of our fallen human nature. And that's why Jesus came so that we could be rescued from ourselves. And be given a new nature in Christ Jesus. And be forgiven of our sins and be put in right relationship with the Father. But it was in that garden that we find Lucifer. Also, this could be used as a euphemism for the presence of God, for his throne. And certainly we see that, that Satan, there in the garden, and even prior to that, at the very throne of God, had accessed God. That was a part of his responsibility, as we will soon see. Notice also... Verse 13 tells us in this description about his apparel. Ladies, you may want to take special note of this. For the Bible says, every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold. Now, ladies, that's impressive, isn't it? Especially the gold and the diamonds, right? The Bible describes this creature as being surrounded, his apparel being surrounded with rubies and jewels. And what makes this so important is that you remember now, he is serving in the very presence of God, and God's presence is light, brilliant light. Now, a diamond, as beautiful as it is, as well as other gems, really lose their beauty in the dark. Their beauty is detected when light is present. Satan, and at this time known as Lucifer, before his fall, he is bedecked in jewels of all sorts and colors. And there as he is hovering over the throne of God and that light emitted from the throne strikes those jewels, they reflect the beauty of that light in so many different ways. This had to be an impressive sight. The Bible also says something though about his abilities. Notice that description in verse 13 as we continue to read. The workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you on the day you were created. They were prepared. You see the word settings? That means percussion. And then the word sockets is a reference to wind instruments. 
We're actually told in the book of Isaiah chapter 14 verse 11 in another description of Lucifer that he had hearts. That is, he had strings as a part of his physical makeup. What the Bible is saying here is that Lucifer was not just one who possessed instruments. Lucifer was a walking instrument. And this gives us some insight into his role in heaven. Apparently, Lucifer was a worship leader in heaven. He led the heavenly host in worshiping this one true almighty God. And he used his body as an instrument to lead that worship. What a description we find here of Lucifer created with this great beauty and wisdom in perfection. A walking, flying instrument of all sorts leading worship of the one true God. What a position. When a dangerous criminal is on the run, the authorities will use television and radio and even wanted posters in order to describe the felon. The idea is to enable the public to recognize the fugitive. Many times they will say that the criminal is armed and dangerous and if you see this person, you need to contact the authorities. Don't approach him, they'll say. In this passage, God is providing a description of the ultimate lawbreaker. When you spot him and his demons, you are to call upon God himself and use his word as protection. This is someone you cannot fight alone. You dare not fight alone. This is someone that only God can defeat through his power and strength. And this is the description we find of this angelic being that is far beyond our ability to comprehend. But then we see the duty of Lucifer. Look in verse 14. Notice the anointing for his duty is found in verse 14 where we read, You were the anointed cherub who covers. Notice the article the. He was not just a cherub. He was the anointed cherub. The word anointed means that he's been set apart for a particular service. The word cherub there is speaking about an angel. Cherubim is the plural of cherub. It means many. And the word cherub is speaking of Lucifer as an angel. And he is one who covers. That means He stands guard over the throne. He hovers over the throne of God. That was his responsibility there in leading worship in heaven. He's anointed for this duty. Then notice the appointment for his duty in verse 14. The Bible says, and I placed you there. That is, God is the one who was responsible for creating Lucifer... And putting him in this position of leadership and responsibility. Sovereign almighty God put him there. It was an appointed duty. And then notice the address for his duty. We see with more clarity now in the latter part of verse 14. 
you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Now notice the holy mountain of God is a euphemism for heaven. And in particular, the very throne of God. The the very place where God, from which he rules and reigns. So it it was the highest of any creature to serve in that role. What a great responsibility this was. What a great duty it was to be able to serve almighty God in this type of fashion. But rather than being thankful and rather than being obedient, something started to happen in the heart of this created angel. His heart began to turn from God and he began to focus on himself and the beauty that he possessed and the brilliance of his own personhood. Robed in those jewels and the brightness from his person caused him to begin to sin with pride and to think more of himself than he ought to have. And as a result, it led him into sin. Now, you would think a person in this position would not have have fallen, but he did. This should say something to us. You may say now, well, you know, Pastor... I'm a believer and I'm serving the Lord and I'm faithful to his church and I'm giving and I'm involved. You better be very careful and be on guard because if you're not, you need to understand that pride can enter your heart. Sin can enter your life and cause you to feel estranged from God and cause you to rebel against the creator as well. If a creature this beautiful and perfect had the potential to sin, what does that say about us? How much more should we be careful? How much more should we be loyal and obedient to our Lord knowing our own weaknesses? It appears to me that the angels were given a similar opportunity to choose whether or not they would obey God. And sadly, Lucifer chose to rebel. So we see his duty, but also notice the defilement. Let's look at the defilement. Let's see more in-depthly what actually happened in his life. If you would look in verse 15, here we see that Lucifer was defiled after his creation. I want to emphasize this for you so you'll know that God did not create Satan as I mentioned earlier. He created Lucifer who became Satan based upon his own choice. Verse 15 says it this way. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. This was not a being that has always existed. Only God has always existed. He's the eternal God. He never had a beginning and he will never have an ending. He has always existed and everything that has been made was made by him. Including Lucifer. But he was made in a state of blamelessness. In a state of perfection as we saw earlier. So his defilement came after creation. And then notice he was defiled to his core. Verse 15, as we continue to read, says this. 
until unrighteousness was found in you. Here we see the turn. Here we see the transition from this perfected being to one that has fallen and in rebellion against God. Unrighteousness was found in his heart. He was defiled to the core. He became an opponent of God's. Then notice he was defiled in his conduct. Verse 16 says this. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. You see that word trade? It speaks about influence. It means to merchandise something. Satan was merchandising his rebellion. He was influencing others in his rebellion. We know that because the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12 verse 4 that Satan drew a third of the angels with him when he fell. A third of these created beings followed the rebellious uprising of Lucifer. And they too rebelled against God and they became his enemies. These are what we call today demons. It's good to know that Satan is not almighty. Satan Satan cannot be everywhere at once as God can. Neither can his demons. But I can assure you that he has an organized system whereby he uses his demonic cords to accomplish his ungodly purposes. And his conduct here as described in verse 16 says you were internally filled with violence. This means violent actions. There was this effort to violently overthrow God. It was doomed to failure because God is God and he has no equals. God doesn't even have an opposite because God is so unique. Unique in his personhood. There's no one that we could even sign as being his opposite. So it was doomed to failure from the beginning. Satan did not know this. Lucifer could not fathom his failure. But his violence was doomed to fail. And he's referred to here as one who sinned. These are the conducts of Lucifer, his defilement. Oh, what a sad story this is to think about this creation that God has made in such beauty and perfection. Yet now he rebels against God himself and he becomes Satan, the one with which you and I have to contend. The one who is seeking to destroy everything that God loves. And you and I need to know that the family was the first, the very first institution that God created. And when the family falls, so goes the society. When the family is weakened, so too is the church weakened. And I can promise you that Satan wants to destroy your family. Why? It's because God loves your family. 
God cares about you. He wants you to have strong marriages. He wants you to have strong relationships with your children. He wants to protect your children against pornography and other vices. He wants your relationships to be growing and healthy with him and other people. But Satan wants to destroy it. And he's doing a good job in his effort. He's come a long way in a short time in bringing division and the divisiveness among people and specifically among family units. And it's time that we as God's people strengthen our families and get back to what the Bible says about how our families ought to function and that we put up some safeguards in our homes to protect our marriages and to protect our children. It's not too late, but we have no time to waste. And what I want to do through this series is I want to give you some biblical principles and insight that you can apply in your home, in your lives, so that your families can be strengthened and they can withstand this onslaught. Now, the good news is that Satan's effort not only failed, but his continued rebellion will ultimately fail. So I want to close this message today by talking to you about the downfall of Satan. Notice if you would in verse 16, the latter part of verse 16 begins to talk about this. I want to read it for you, verses 16 and following. He says, therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. That is, you lost your position. You've been removed from this lofty place with this wonderful responsibility. And I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Which, by the way, if you're reading the book of Revelation chapter 4, where you have a picture of the throne of God you'll see a, sam- a similar type of verbiage to describe the throne and uh, the things around the throne where God's holiness is expressed in relation to the stones of fire. He says, you have been removed from this position to hold this place no more. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground, I put you before kings that they may see you. So here we see the beginning of the end for Lucifer and his rule. He has been removed from God's presence. Now, that does not mean that he does not communicate with God. As a matter of fact, you can read in the book of Job where he went before God and he sought permission to abuse Job. What you have to understand, folks, is that Satan is on a leash. God is the one who is sovereign. God is the one who is almighty. God is the one who is all-powerful, all-present. He is the one that we serve. He's the one true and living God. And Satan's time and power are limited. We see that in this passage. He's been removed from his position. He still has access to to the throne in order to seek permission to do certain things. And God 
When God gives Satan permission to do something, Satan's intent is to cause harm. But God always turns it around and brings good out of it. You know, that has to really get on the nerves of Satan. Nothing he does will ever truly succeed. But ultimately, he will be cast down to the earth, the Bible says. And then ultimately, he will be cast into the lake of fire. We can read about that. As a matter of fact, uh, hold your place here in the book of Ezekiel. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Here is another description of Lucifer in a similar way as you have read this morning in Ezekiel. But this is speaking about the power behind the throne, not of Tyre, but of Babylon. And I want to read you a section of scripture from this passage, beginning in verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Notice over and over again the personal pronoun I, myself. Very conceited, very focused on himself, filled with pride, bragging and boasting about what he's going to accomplish. But notice verse 15, nevertheless you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. That is his destination. That is where he's headed. Now let's look a little closer at this destination to which Satan is headed. We read in verses 18 and following, By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore I have brought fire from the midst of you, it has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified and you will cease to be forever. Now keep in mind he's speaking to this king of Tyre. And the power behind the throne though is pictured here. In that Satan ultimately will have a destination that is not pleasant. We can read about that in the book of Revelation. You can turn over there to Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 3. Notice what the Bible says here. And folks, when we get to this place, it's going to be a glorious place. Now we're not there yet, but this place is coming. Notice as I read Revelation chapter 20. Beginning verse 1, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him. 
so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Now, this thousand years is referring to what we call as the millennial reign. It follows the tribulation or what we sometimes refer to as the great tribulation. The millennial reign is the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth where he will rule with an iron rod. Satan will be bound during that time. But he will be released for a short time before he ultimately is sent to the pit, to the lake of fire. We read on in verse 7 and following. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. And will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog. To gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. And behold, the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented Day and night forever and ever. I think that's a place we can all say amen. Because that's the ultimate destination of Satan. By the way, those who do not know Christ, those who've said no to his gracious offer of grace. Those who've joined in league with Satan and his demons will be cast into the lake of fire after what is referred to as the great white throne judgment. But we see the, des- we see the devastation all around us that has occurred as a result of, of Satan and his demons. And for those who have chosen to take sides with him, their future is not pretty. It's one of destruction, it's one of death, it's one of separation, it's one of hell. Now the question is, where do you stand today? Have you joined up with Satan? You say, well, I haven't joined Satan, you know, I'm not a bad guy, pastor, I'm just, uh, I know I'm not a Christian, but I'm not that bad. The Bible says you are either for Christ or you're against him. You're either standing with him or you're standing in opposition to him. You either have Christ in your life or you're following Satan. You are either walking in light or you're walking in darkness. And there are many who are deceived into thinking that somehow, some way, they're going to make it because they're going to try to do good enough at the end of life so that their good deeds will outweigh their bad deeds. I'm telling you, your good deeds are as filthy rags before God, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah. We can't be good enough. But thanks be to God, God in His love has provided a way we as human beings could be reconciled to Him. If we'll acknowledge our sinfulness, believe Jesus is the Savior, and surrender our lives to Christ. And when that happens, 
what God has given us in his word as a model to live by, as a standard by which to form our families and to have strong relationships and families that can withstand the the evils, the wickedness that we find in our world today, through the power and strength of God, we can do it. And we must do it. Folks, we have an enemy. We know who he is now. Perhaps you thought your enemy was your boss. You might think your enemy is your mother-in-law. Or your ex-wife. Your husband. You need to understand there's a spiritual battle that's going on. We have an enemy, all right. And we need to know who he is, and we know who he is now. But we also know who the victor is. And he's the one we follow, amen? And as we get into this study, we're going to see from God's word how our families can be strengthened. You may be here this morning and your family, you feel like it's in shambles. You may think, I'm just going to give up. It's too late. We've had too many problems. There's no way healing can occur. Friend, if you believe that, you're falling right into the trick of the devil. You're believing a lie. As a pastor for over 30 years, I have seen families that were devastated by bad decisions who were able to come back together and find healing and restoration and now are strong family units. And if you're experiencing that with your family today, I want you to know there's hope. It could be you're in a situation where your family has already been broken apart. Maybe you've been divorced. Maybe your spouse is remarried. And you've experienced perhaps several family breakups. What I would say to you this morning is, first of all, God loves you. And I would say also, you can start afresh and anew today. You don't have to allow your past to determine your future. God wants to do a fresh new work in your life and in your family. And why not cooperate? Why not yield to the one who loves you so? So you be in prayer through the course of this series, and I want you to encourage others to come and be a part to hear what the Word of God has to say so that our families can be strong and vibrant for the glory of God. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your love and kindness for us and how you've shown that in so many ways. Thank you, Lord, that our protection is in you. It's not in our own strength or ingenuity. It's not in our wisdom. It's all in you. And we know we have an enemy, but you are our security. You're our strong tower the one we can go into and hide and be protected. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I pray you'll begin a fresh new work in the lives of your people here through the course of this series. Give me the words to say, to speak right to their issues, right to where they're struggling. And Lord, together we can all make our homes a better place, a stronger place, a loving place, a secure place as we obey you 
and as we find strength in the body of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.